Chickadee Prince Books is the home of great fiction and nonfiction of all genres. Visit us at chickadeeprince.com. That's Chickadee the Bird, Prince the Son of a King. Declare your independence. In 1874, I, Watto Hugh III, traveled to New York City at the behest of J.P. Morgan, supposedly to make my name in a Wild West extravaganza that Morgan would finance, with beautiful sharpshooter Emelina by my side. I soon found myself framed for a passion crime that I didn't commit, and on the lam chased through the streets of late-night New York by a full contingent of police, vigilantes, and Morgan henchmen and I still hadn't had dinner. I have my ghosts. In a way, I am a ghost myself. The Strange and Astounding Memoirs of Watto Hugh radio drama based on the novels by Stephen S. Drachman, starring Sal Rendino and produced by Danielle Wu. This week, Episode 4, Laramie. Up on the rooftops in the New York slums, a bullet quite distinctly pierced my left shoulder. Then one grazed my forehead, then two shots cut through my left leg at once, and I spun about like one of those Olympic ice skaters. As I plunged, I waited for little fingers to break my fall, and waited some more, and did not give up hope until I felt my body crumple on wet, swampy cobblestones, and wondering what had become of my ghosts, I guessed that my last sight as a mortal would be the tenement city's starless night sky. What? It's me, Emelina. If they get you, I'll be waiting for you in Wyoming after the prison break. I won't lose you, darling. Run for the hills. Keep yourself alive for me. The taxi would only take me as far as Bleecker Street, a tree-shrouded block lined with once stately mansions that now, in 1874, served as boarding houses to show folk, prostitutes, homosexuals, and, notably, hot-blooded upper-crust ladies who wished a discreet room in which to bed their gigolos. From there, I trudged the remaining yards to the White Squall Inn, feeling only a weariness and a sad sort of fatalism that somehow my life had brought me back to this very corner of the world. Mrs. Welch? Mrs. Welch, it's Emelina. You must remember me. (laughs) 
When I entered the front parlor of my former residence, a brief, wordless communication passed between me and Mrs. Welch. The madam was older, but she retained the gentle manner that could make sin and adultery seem as appropriate as a Sunday morning spent in church. I brushed by Mrs. Welch in the narrow corridor, past three teenage girls in pantalettes, and on the second floor and three doors to the left, I entered a room painted a gaudy red and blue. I pulled the curtains, slumped to the floor, leaned against the cold wall, and shut my eyes. I kneaded the warm air with both hands. Gray winds streaked across the back of my eyelids, and visions rose before me. The faces and gnarled bodies of demons and spirits, and the ghosts of wizards and murderers whose names I didn't know. I hurried further into the darkness until I came upon a lonely prairie under the stars, where a sad boy sat listlessly against a sod house, his father inside, dead by his own hand. The boy's tears dripped into the dusty wind, his father's bad whiskey burning his throat. I knew these two, of course. Then I flew away from the little boy and I began a new search, looking for Watt O. Hugh, for the third Watt O. Hugh, who I knew had learned to use twelve of his twenty-one essences. I watched again glimpses of Watt's past. I witnessed sweat-drenched crowds screaming through the streets and saw his scorching love for Lucy Billings, which burned my cornea like the glare of the sun. When I searched for Watt's future, his destiny, I found nothing at all. I hunted for his present, but I only saw darkness. I worried about him, about what? I nearly despaired of hope. Before I fell into a deep sleep on the worn rug, another image appeared. John Pierpont, a younger, clean-shaven man, vigorous and sharp and almost handsome, cradling in his arms the emaciated body of a young woman, racked and broken by constant coughing, tiny flecks of blood stained her lips. The young Morgan's face was innocent and open and lacked the pompous hostility that so tarred his older counterpart. The strong sun of southern France shined through broad eastern windows. Pierpont wept, tears flowing like rain on the girl's <laughs> yellowing skin. And then I saw what? Shot. Fallen from a tenement rooftop, surely dead. Chickadee Prince Books is the publisher of Don Eleven's novel, He Could Be Another Bill Gates. Booklist raves, full of pathos, wit, and tenderness, 
Don Eleven's latest novel, He Could Be Another Bill Gates, will appeal to any parent who has felt stuck between a rock and a hard place. A tender and realistic portrait of a non-traditional yet immediately recognizable family. Pick up Don Eleven's novel, He Could Be Another Bill Gates, wherever books are sold, and visit us at chickadeeprince.com. That's Chickadee the Bird, Prince the Son of a King, Declare Your Independence. After I fell, I experienced not heaven nor hell nor oblivion, but instead a damp and enveloping chill that wrapped me like an old blanket, and terrible smells of body odor, mildew, human waste, and something that smelled like death. Cloaked in this cold, surrounded by these smells, I believed I was back in the one place I would ever really call home, a squatter's nest in the belly of some abandoned tenement in the Five Points. My head pounded, maybe too much drink at one of the less reputable Bowery beer gardens. My stomach churned, probably from a ten-cent bowl of soup at a restaurant on the docks. But when I tried to open my eyes, sunlight along with frosty mountain air poured in through a tiny window far above me, and my skull screamed. I tried to stagger upright against cold stone walls, but my ruined legs refused to move. You're a wreck, brother. Take this slowly. You've got all the time in the world. Help me up. If I grab you under the arms like this, I can hoist you up to the window. You see? It's sealed with steel bars. I clenched the bars in my fists, and I gazed out the window, across an icy and forbidding river that met gray grassy plains freezing into snow-capped mountains in the far northwest. Welcome to Wyoming Territorial Prison, for evildoers of all classes and kinds. You recognize this place, Watto Hugh III? From my days as a cowhand passing through Laramie in the summers, that's all, filled with evildoers... To which you may now add your own name, Watt O'Hugh III, evildoer, jailbird. I'm awaiting trial, right? That must be it. I'm innocent, though. Me too. <laughs> me too. Listen to this. I was framed. You know who framed me? J.P. Morgan himself. J.P. Morgan and the United States government. Secret agents of the United States government. Or anyway, some government. I don't know which government framed me. The fellow said he was a government agent. That's all he said. I'm Billy Golden. We've been sharing this cell for some time, but this is the first you've been sane enough to talk to. Look careful. Shaking my hand, you broke a couple of fingers there. That one didn't heal right. Nice to meet you. I suppose. I'm Watto Hugh. The third famed western hero turned passion killer. We all know you here. You're a legend. I'm no one. I'm just a mule thief. You're no mule thief. I know a mule thief when I see one. Yes, sir. I'll soon be forgotten, but the world will never forget the strange life of Watt O. Hugh III and his violent fall from grace. There's already a sad and bloody little folk song roaming the prairies about you, author unknown, of course. 
Passion killers make for the best folk songs. I'm not guilty. J.P. Morgan, government agents, I told you. You're a little late with your cover story, brother. In case you don't recall, your trial came and went. The third took the stand and confessed everything. I admitted murder? You're one of the bad guys now, Mr. Watto Hugh III. One of the bad guys. It's official. It's a lie. I know it. I didn't steal that mule either. We were just good friends, you know? I've been framed. So have we all. No one cares anymore. You're a convicted murderer. And that makes you a murderer. Whether you did it or not, your guilt or innocence doesn't matter anymore. I remembered what Sneed had told me. We've designed a cover story for you. Hero of the Wild West, implicated in passion crime. I had not thought that anyone would believe it, or even imagine it. I'd killed men in the war, and I had been reputed, since tales of my legend had spread, to have killed bandits and outlaws who, in reality, had long since retired and set down roots on the prairies as respectable and legitimate homesteaders. I was supposed to be a killer, of course. That, that was part of my mystique. No one had ever found anything wrong in this. Until now. The cell I shared with Billy had two hammocks, which I was not inclined to navigate on account of my mangled legs. So I slept on the floor, but that night I did not sleep well. It became clear to me as I trembled on the cold stone floor that Billy did not spend his night locked up. I wondered how he managed to come and go so freely. I wondered who he really was. When I woke in the morning, Billy was resting in the hammock. Though I recognized the same man, I was surprised at my estimate of him on the night before. Billy was clearly far older than I had originally thought. He was a vigorous but aging man, near 50, as well as I could calculate. His hair was almost completely gone, but for a couple of surviving clumps of growth just above his ears. You look different. Could be someone's grandpa, right? That's what one night too many in this place will buy you, brother. That morning, once I got up the energy, I crawled up the wall, my useless legs hanging limply beneath me, and I managed to pull myself up to the window to stare dully out at the icy Laramie River, at a train as it chugged into the nearby town, at the hobos streaming from boxcars. I saw some of the men in their stripes, their legs and arms chained one to another, marching off to work in town. Others, hammers in hand, slumped over to the quarry, trudging through light brown ice and slush. Billy was clearly a respected leader of the prisoners, perhaps the top dog. Every prisoner obeyed him without hesitation or resentment. He appeared to be the confidant of a bald-headed Chinese man who was bone-thin but strong and formidable. The other prisoners paid them both deference in their words and in their body language. Oh, Hugh, I think I envy you. Lying around here all day living the life of Riley. <laughs> sure, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to know you anyway. You're the right friend to have in this prison, aren't you? I think you may be right about that. Who's the Chinaman? All the other prisoners seem afraid of him. <laughs> That's Tang. Madam Tang, not a man at all, but 
She has muscles and attitude built from years working the railroads disguised convincingly as the stronger sex. Why? She did it to support her children when she could see no other way. How she got to America from Kaifeng with immigration closed to Chinese women, well, <laughs> that's another story. She was desperate, and she found one way to survive. And then she found another. Risked her life every day and many times to give the robber barons their transcontinental railroads. She dangled a hundred feet over Canyon Diablo from a half-built teetering wooden bridge as one of five men in hanging wicker baskets planting explosives in sheer rock face to build a trestle in a rocky mountain peak. She lost her left foot when her dynamite detonated before she'd cleared the cliff wall. Sometime later, arrested as a man, she was thrown into the pen before anyone found out the truth. Now she's the sole resident of the women's quarters. The warden works her just like the men, because of the extra money she could bring in. The other prisoners leave her alone because they are afraid of her. Really afraid. <laughs> What's she in for? Murder. Like you. A murderer. That's not what frightens the other prisoners, Watt. She scares people. That's all. You know you've been left here to rot, Third, don't you? Are you willing to take your punishment, or do you want to break out? What? It's me, Emelina. If they get you, I'll be waiting for you in Wyoming, after the prison break. I won't lose you, darling. Run for the hills. Keep yourself alive for me. I'm breaking out. I'm not guilty of murder, and I won't stay here if I can help it. You've seen the Laramie doctor, but Tang knows a few things that never made it into the medical books. If you're going to break out, we need a cure. And fast. I will be in her debt. <sighs> in that case, I suggest you treat Madame Tang with all the respect she's earned. You'll meet her soon. You'll see. You'll be scared, too. At two in the morning, my cell door creaked slowly open. Don't worry, Third. It's me. Two striped figures stood in the moonlight that swept across the cell like an ocean wave. The other prisoner was Tang, stony and formidable. They knelt down beside me on the floor of the cell. Billy was young again, younger than I'd ever seen him, with a full head of hair and strength even in the way he moved across the cell. If he could manage such a recovery, he could do anything. An honor to meet you, Ohio. I am Tang. I'd never seen a woman like her. I'd never seen a Chinese woman before. That was also true. So I attributed her difference to race. She'd lived the life of a man, the most rigorous and brutal man's life imaginable. And so she was muscled and slender and strong and so fearsome. How'd you both get in here? Through the door. How can you move through the prison at will? Sometimes we turn into mice and squeeze between the bars and then scurry down the corridors under the guards' feet. Sometimes we turn invisible and fly through the air on imaginary magic wings. But usually we turn into chocolate pudding and drip through the drain into the penitentiary sewers. That's what we usually do. That's the plan that works the best. It's easy once you know how. I give up. Billy Golden, sit O'Hugh up straight. 
Tang gestured up and down both legs, pointing from time to time at a twisted muscle or a cracked bone, poking me in spots that had gone completely numb. I felt mothered by her, an uncomfortable feeling that brings on a certain yearning in an orphan boy, even one who's gone to the trouble of growing up. I wondered now what kind of parent she'd been. The strict kind, I figured. I wondered how old she was. I didn't know. Maybe old enough to be my own mother. But maybe young enough to be my daughter. Let him down. What, Ohio? You know that you will never walk again. Did you know that, what, Ohio? Did anyone bother to tell you that? No one told me this. No one bothered to let me know I was a torso with no legs attached. What do you think, Billy? Is he worth saving? Watt here is no fan of the government. He doesn't really know what's happened to him, either that or he's the best actor in the world, but I read his out-of-town notices, and if you ask the Philadelphia critics, he's not the best actor in the world. Watt, we all know why you're here. J.P. Morgan wants to get his hands on Alan Jerome, and in that mission, he and various arms of the United States government have enlisted your help. Why did Morgan plant you in the pen? Morgan is not your friend. The United States government is not your friend. We know why you're here, but we're willing to trust you. Tang can cure you. No doctor can cure you. If you join us, Tang and I will give you a second chance. President Grant, at best, may be kind enough to leave you to live as a cripple on the floor of this cold cell for the rest of your life if he doesn't see fit to hang you for your faithful service to his corrupt administration. Does he know about Master Yu? About Master Yu's mission? Not yet. Who is this Master Yu? In time. What do I do now? Alan Jerome presents himself as a revolutionary who can help the common man of the continent. But he's just one more populous nobleman with ulterior motives. You will work for us now, Madam Tang and me. The boys in this pen? We believe in their ultimate goal, but we know that Alan Jerome won't bring it, and that his movement must be destroyed before things get even worse. We break out of the prison, roam the West as a sort of independent militia, devoted to the cause of the homesteader, the pauper, the suffering freedmen, and maybe even to the orphans of the Five Points. What? We have sympathy for the orphans of the Five Points, the Watts, the Whos. If you lie to us... We will find out. If you even think about double-crossing the cause, I will know instantly. And if Billy doesn't know instantly, I will know instantly. You've been pretty smart and crafty so far in your life, but Tang and I are not your average Western outlaws. You realize this, don't you, Third? I understand. You can't hide things from us. Who do I work for again? For us. You pretend to work for Alan Jerome. You blend in with the boys from the pen and win their trust. But really, you work for us. And what? You are our soldier till the day you die. And what if you two have a spat? Then who do I work for? Billy. If Billy and I have a fight, you work for Billy Golden. I held out one crippled hand, and the deal was sealed.
Was I still a mole infiltrating Jerome's gang, observing and reporting back his sinister machinations? Was I hoping to save Lucy from Folly's army of darkness? Did I believe suddenly in the justice of Billy's mission? Or was I just trying to save my own skin? Shut your eyes. In the ensuing darkness, I felt a cool breeze spread through my body. And then I felt muscles untangle, bones snap together, nerve endings swimming lost through shadows reconnect. When I opened my eyes, it was hours later. My body reborn. Tang and Billy gone. The morning sun lit the cell like a palace in heaven. The Laramie doctor examined me one more time. I saw him scratch his prematurely bald head with some wonder as he looked me over, but then almost literally shake away his puzzlement. What, oh, Hugh III, crippled, incurably for life, now remarkably and fully cured? Huh? Apparently, it is uh, apparently a, 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 a miracle. <laughs> well... I am a busy man with a full itinerary back in town. The government doesn't pay me to uh, uh, ponder miracles. So what do you think? How do you explain my recovery? Well, these things happen, O'Hugh, I suppose. This program starred Sal Rendino as Watto Hugh and featured Emily Dalton, Jordan Gwizdowski, Morrison James, Arnold Kim, Annie Mack, Anthony Tether, Mabel Thomas, and Eric Yang. Theme song and incidental music composed by Derek K. Miller, with additional incidental music by Danielle Wu. The Strange and Astounding Memoirs of Watto Hugh was produced by Danielle Wu.